The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Well, if you were here last week, you know we began our study in chapter 17, and 17 is broken down into three segments, verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself and prays for his glory. We saw that last week. Uh, In verses 6 through 19, he prays for the disciples, for those that are there with him. And then in verses 20 to 26, he prays for all those who will come as a result of their testimony, and that includes you and I. And so one of the reasons I said last week that chapter 17 is my personal favorite chapter in the book of John, certainly you can't rival 19 and 20 about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But when you realize that after instructing the disciples, he walks away, kneels, and in his last moments before his arrest, he prays for you and I. And when you understand that God, in the beautiful plan he has laid out, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. And as if that wasn't enough, he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us, so that those prayers are offered up with groanings, which we can't even understand. So he lays them before Jesus, and he intercedes. You and I have a winning team, folks. And no matter what life is doing to you, he's enough. So I should like to point out, as we begin our message this morning, that though he's speaking and praying directly about those disciples and those people there, The words he is saying translate to us today. In fact, it's critical that you and I hear and fully understand his prayer because it does affect us today. How does anyone tell who are God's own? How do we know who are Christians and who are not? Well, we we cannot judge this this in this sense because it's a matter of the heart and only God sees the heart. But for that matter... How do you and I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we're Christians? That we did not just utter a prayer in emotion and miss the reality? Well, this morning we're going to see clearly in Jesus' prayer how he lays a foundation of understanding so everyone, Christians and non-alike, can understand what being a Christian is. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to John chapter 17, I want us to focus this morning on verses 6 through 8. Jesus, praying to the Father, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them, and they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So according to these verses, the only way to tell whether one is a true child of God is to see that he or she believes and then continues in the words of Jesus. And this applies to you today if you've accepted Christ. Did you believe Do you believe, and are you continuing to walk in the words that he has given us? 
I want to break this down in a very important uh, sequence uh, in these first couple of verses, just to get a feel where Jesus is going. Because in verse 6, Christ presents the matter of salvation from God's point of view, stressing his acts. And so we find four things here. Number one, believers were God the Father's first. Notice verse 6. They were yours. Now understand that those who come to know Christ as Savior, God has already marked them in eternity past. You and I were known by him before we were even created. And then, number two, that the Father gave them to Jesus by an act of sovereign grace. He says in verse 6, you gave them to me. So what we have is God the Father assigning those who will accept Christ to Jesus so that when he goes to the cross and pays the price for sins, they're included. And it is an amazing act of love that God has done for us. Number three, that Jesus exercised his responsibility to those he had been given by revealing God to them. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And so the key role that Jesus played in coming to earth, not just to die on the cross, but was to reveal God the Father to people. God is a spirit. You can only know him in spirit and truth. So by Jesus taking on the form of man and coming to earth and dwelling among us, we could learn who God the Father is and see that represented. And then number four, that they in, in their turn received or kept Christ's words. So those whom God in eternity past uh, responded to Christ's words and they kept the words or walked in the words. In other words, their heart's desire is to be Christ ones or Christians. So this is the plan that he laid out. Now, in verse 8, by contrast, Jesus presents the matter from the disciples' point of view, thereby, in effect, elaborating upon the last two steps of verse 6. So in verse 8, notice, number 1, that he has given the disciples the words that the Father gave him. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me. This, this is a beautiful picture. Because when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come on his own agenda. He came and brought the words of the Father to give to us. So number two, that they have received those words. Verse 8 says, and they accepted them. So to receive means to put, their, put them into action. So one who genuinely accepts Christ puts into action the words that God gave him. They don't go back to their same old life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, this isn't to say that we won't backslide or mess up because in the flesh, we're still living in depraved bodies in a sin-sick world. And we'll make mistakes. But the reality and focus of the heart of a genuinely converted Christian is to know and grow closer to the Savior. Number three, that on the basis of those words, they have known that he came forth from God. Verse 8, they knew with certainty that I came from you. Uh, the Greek translation of certainty is they knew truly. There was no doubt. 
They had a clear understanding. And then number four, that they have believed in him as one whom God sent. Verse eight, and they believed that you sent me. So this was Jesus' mission. He made it clear that he came from God the Father and they knew that he was sent by God the Father. So he, he was sent by God the Father, he came in obedience, and those around him knew that he was God. And to summarize, the steps are the giving of God's word, the receiving of God's word, knowing and believing. And the believer is the one whom all these things have been done for. So when you truly understand that Jesus' death paid the price for your sins, and you truly understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you truly understand that Jesus was sent by God, and you accept that gift, you are saved. And as Ephesians tells us, you are now sealed until the day of redemption. And that is the beautiful plan that Jesus is laying out in his prayer back to the Father. He's, he's rehearsing this, and that's why it's so critical for you and I as we read the words of his prayer to understand the dynamic and depth of the theology that is being given to us. Now, the first step in this sequence is the giving of God's word, which Jesus indicates by saying, I, I gave them the words that you gave me. The word is the only thing powerful enough to change a heart. The word of God is the only thing that is powerful enough to change the heart. And that's why you will never hear anything but the word of God preached from this pulpit. Because it is life. The writer of Hebrews put it in clear relevance. He said in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the divining of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. And get this, it judges the thoughts in the attitudes of the heart. So when you immerse yourself in the word of God, you quickly find out where your heart is, right? As Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So by being in the word of God, it transforms you and changes you and gives you the desires of God. Uh, uh, Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Delighting in the Lord is surrendering your whole self to him, learning his word, and the spirit changes your heart to desire the things he wants. And that's the beautiful plan that we have here. Uh, Martin Luther said, the word of God is greater than, than death in hell. It transforms the heart of men. Peter was thinking the same thing when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You know, there's an, there's an old poem. I don't even know if I remember it, <laughs> but it goes something like this. It says, though the cover is worn, no pages are torn, and no places bear traces of tears. Still, this book by my side will remain a sweet guide. It's a comfort and guide through the years. Study it carefully. Think of it prayerfully. Deep in your heart, let its oracles dwell. Slight not its history. Ponder its mystery. None can ever love it too fondly or well. Accept the glad tidings, the warnings, the chidings found in this volume of heavenly lore and with faith that's unfailing and with love all prevailing, accept 
its sweet promise of life evermore. That's this book. That's this book. And that's what God in his sovereignty has given to us. So the conversation of an individual is much more than, or excuse me, the conversion of an individual is much more than just persuasion. If it were persuasion, where all all that was required was words and a good argument, we might be fine. That is not enough. Arguments have their place. Jesus used them. But it is the base that takes place in the matter of salvation. It is the word of God, the clearly taught word of God that draws men to himself. And this is why there must be witnesses and missionaries to carry the word of God out to to the masses. Uh, In John chapter 17, verse 18, we read, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus is saying, look, Father, as you sent me to the world, to them, I'm now sending them out to spread your gospel. John 20, verse 21, and again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And folks, this is the mission of the church. This is what you and I are called to do, to come together as a church for edification, for growth in the word of God, but then not just sit here, go out and bring people in. Minister to the world and their needs. This is the way God has chosen to operate, by enlisting his people and participating in the conversion of men and women. They take the word of God And the word of God, directed by the Holy Spirit, transforms lives. And you and I get to be part of that. That's amazing grace. But notice now the second step in the sequence of verse 8. It's receiving God's word. Because Jesus said not only that that he had given the disciples the words that God gave him, but also that they had accepted them. The Greek word for accept is not the same as the word used for obey in verse 6. The word in verse 8 means to get something or receive something. So going to a lesser word in verse 8 is as if Jesus is backtracking to draw attention to verse 6. To obey his word is, as he now shows it, to hear, receive it, know it on the basis of what it says, and believing in it personally. personally. And this is salvation. The fact that Jesus points to this word of accepting makes it clear that there are some people that aren't going to accept it. It's going to go over their head, or as we often say, it goes through one ear and out the other. So you have to accept what you're hearing. And so it's important, again, as we preach these truths and teach these truths, that you're actively listening to what the Spirit is saying. So you see, when the word is received, it sinks down into your heart and becomes the basis of how you think. This is why a true child of God deals with disappointments in a different way than the unsaved person. They sift the situation through the regenerated heart and mind and gain the Spirit's leading. This is how depression can be defeated. This is how a defeated attitude can be stopped and born anew because now you're sifting things through the mind and heart of God. That's why the word is so critical that you and I know it. That's why it's so important to have it hidden in your heart. Now, believing based on true knowledge... 
Because up to this point, the sequence of giving and receiving the word Jesus gives has been obvious. The word must be given if it is to be received, and it must be received if it is to do us any good. But now a third point becomes clear. Jesus goes on to talk about knowledge of certain things followed by believing. Now, we've been taught up to this point that believing is seeing. And even Jesus taught this. In fact, in John eleven forty, 40, uh, with the raising of Lazarus, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? But now in John 17, it's as if he teaches something different. We could answer this by noting that seeing and knowing as Jesus uses them here are not synonyms. But the truly significant thing to note is that while a full apprehension of spiritual realities always follows upon belief, there is a proper and necessary kind of knowing that must precede it. Otherwise, faith is blind faith. And that's not true faith at all. Now, We now come into, of course, what's called the area of apologetics. And we could ask the question, does faith need reasons? More specifically, do we need reasons to undergird our faith and do we need reasons to present faith to others? Well, if we're asking, does all doubt need to be gone before we can be saved? Well, the answer is clearly no. Because even the disciples didn't get it all at the time. But on the other hand... Knowledge does play a role in faith because faith is committed to one whom we have come to know and one that we have come to know by the testimony of the disciples who are with him, giving account of their belief on what they witnessed firsthand. There are many doubts Christians wrestle with. We all have doubts. There are all kinds of things that cause us doubts when we don't fully understand all the words. And faith gets us through those doubts as we see and learn what comes out the other end. And that's why First Peter 3.15, Peter said, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So in the context of chapter 17, this means that a certain number of, of convictions concerning Jesus must precede faith in him. These convictions will not embrace all possible areas of religious truth. Jesus uh, does not even suggest this in his prayer, but they will embrace the central question concerning a person of Christ and his teaching. And Jesus indicates this in verse 8 when he says, they know with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. So, All the miracles that were witnessed, all the overpowering of nature with walking on water and stilling the storms were witnessed. And then the resurrection. When they doubted and, and scattered in fear, but then the resurrection that was witnessed by some 500 people. But for us who were not there, who didn't see it, he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit guides us into these very truths. 
It takes their witness. It takes the, the, what they have written about of their personal experience. And the spirit bears witness with our spirit and helps us to clearly understand the reality of these truths. So verse seven says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And this is why Jesus did miracles. Because he came to testify of the father that God the Father had a plan to rescue them from the slave market of sin. And as he came to them, Jesus made it clear through miracles, through his word, through healings, and they began to get a clear understanding that this this was truth that they were hearing. And so verse 7, they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So Jesus' testimony of the Father was made very clear, and they came to know him. Now, before we commit our lives to Jesus... We must believe he is who he says he is, very God. That his teaching is true and that he did what he said he did, and that is dying on the cross. He he died as our substitute, bearing the penalty for our sin, and if we are not convinced of these truths, then our faith is in a phantom. So not only is truth important to our faith, but is important for our motivation to evangelize. It's pretty hard to go out and witness to somebody if you're not totally convinced it's true. And that's why I love the story of the woman at the well. Because when Jesus came to her and he shared her needs and about her past husbands, she was blown away that he knew these things about her. And what did she do? She ran into the city and she was shouting, come and see the man who knew all things that I did. Why did she have that passion? Because she had truth. Jesus openly identified her past, present, and future. And she ran to share others. When you and I, folks, accept Christ as our Savior, what do we want to do? Share it. Share it. I mean, whatever you enjoy in life, whatever you experience, those moments that are exciting, you you want to get on the phone and tell somebody or get on Facebook and show pictures of it. We love to share the things that motivate us. And when it comes to the things of God, it ought to be our defining moment. It ought to be the passion of our heart to share what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's real. We need to believe that when Jesus came, he came to share the words of God the Father. And when the Holy Spirit illumines us and gives us understanding, that reality becomes our life. It becomes the air we breathe and the motivation for our living. And so this logically then brings us to my next point, faith in action. Having stressed the importance of knowledge, we must not fall into the trap of stopping there as if Christianity were just a process of learning things. The Lord went on to talk about the most important factor of all, faith or belief. He concludes by saying, and they believed that you sent me. Now, faith is not blind trust, but it is not only knowledge either. Rather, it is a personal commitment based upon the knowledge, but going beyond in the sense that having come to know the Lord Jesus as God, the one who follows him is therefore willing to follow him in areas where he has limited knowledge. In other words, I walk for him when I still don't grasp everything. Faith like this involves action. 
So we often say that the blind sense, or that the, uh, the biblical sense, or, or excuse me, we, we often say that in the biblical sense, faith is believing God as he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and acting upon it. That's the reality of salvation. And, and these disciples were, were limited in their knowledge, but they did acknowledge that. Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. They get it. But then Philip asked Jesus in the upper room, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus has to rebuke him in John 14, 9. He says, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Let me ask you a question. Are you here this morning having been saved for a number of years and still doubt? Has the Spirit testified with your spirit? Are you reading the words and accepting them by faith? Or are you allowing the blindness of your heart to reject them? This is important to note because God works through people. And all of us who have accepted Christ need to be actively involved in that work because he's called us to do that work. Every person in this room has been called by God to serve him. The question is, do you even accept that reality? And this is why it's important for us to understand clearly the words that he's teaching. They understood, but then again, they didn't understand. At best, they had a dim faith at times. And there will be times we don't understand. But get into the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to direct you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And what? He will direct your path. The problem is, folks, we don't get in the word enough and let him direct us. We're dealing with life in our own ability, our own strength, and our own preconceived notions, and that is a recipe for failure. Trust the Lord not with some of your heart, not with a little bit of your heart, with all your heart. And you know, this is why in Psalms, David likened it to a deer panting after water. You know, as a deer comes to a brook and his heart just pants for water, our soul should pant after the Spirit of God and his word to work deep into our hearts. They struggled to fully understand why Jesus had to die until after the resurrection. They had a hard time grasping Jesus' statement that the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served and to give his life a ransom for many. And so you and I are continuing to learn and gain understanding. And then even after the resurrection, they still didn't get all of it because in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they gathered around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> Weakness? Yeah. Lack of understanding? Oh, yeah. But there was strength too because it was not their own. It was the result of the words of God penetrating their heart. And as they wrestled and took the words and the words transformed their hearts, Jesus said, look, I I must leave. 
so that I can send the comforter. They were confused until the comforter came. Some 50 days later, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, Peter walked out in the street and preached, and 3,000 men and women came to Christ, not by his ability, but by the Spirit of God. And they went throughout the world and changed the course of history. Now, friends, you and I live in a very nice town. In fact, I think it's been listed in one of the top five towns in America to live. I don't know if you knew that. Pretty cool. Beautiful town. But it's full of lost people. And you and I have been placed here to be the hands and the feet and the lips of Jesus. Are we willing to walk with a Savior? I mean, that's the key of it here. And that's exactly what's happening. What happened to those disciples, what happened to them in their learning and their struggling and getting a handle on everything, you and I are going through that. So don't be disappointed if you don't get it all. They didn't get it all. And I'm sure through the course of their lives, right to the end of their lives, there was a lot of things they didn't get. But one thing they did know, surrender to Jesus Christ meant victory for God. And that's what they were about. They weren't about their own desires, their own plans, their own motivations. They lived for Jesus Christ. And that is the motivation of all of our hearts. Now, you know, salvation is not static. It's it's a growing relationship that grows in service. And, you know, most of you here know my story, obviously. You know, being in business for 30 years and having the rug pulled out to run to me and... (laughs) Jesus putting a heart of preaching and pastoring into me and changing my course. And you know, it's a cool story. It makes for great conversation at lunch. But do you understand that it's my heir? I can't live without it. I can say, like Apostle Paul said, for me, or or woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It's the oxygen to my soul now. But friends, it's the same for all of you. Do you have that passion to be what Christ has called you to be? Or are you content to walk out those doors and just get on with life like nothing's ever happened? If you have truly accepted Christ as your Savior, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. The walk of our life must be focused, number one, on pleasing our Savior. His plans take precedent over all our plans. His will takes precedent over my will. His desire takes precedent over my desire. But the beautiful thing is in the verse I shared earlier in Psalm 37, 4. When you delight in the Lord, he changes your heart to desire what he wants. And I can't imagine any better life than waking up in the morning and knowing that the thing that's getting me up and exciting me and motivating me is the very thing God wants for me. That's a recipe for utter and complete victory. You cannot get any other way. Jesus knew that they were struggling. He said they received my words. They have known who I am and they have believed on me as Savior. So my question to you, is this true of you? Have you accepted him as your savior? And are you walking with him in the fullness of his leading? That is the experience 
of all of God's own people. They may vary in understanding. They may vary in courage and in many other things. They, they vary in talents and abilities. But when you have the word of God in your heart, you will continue to grow. And your walk with Christ will just move on to the glory of God. All of us have the capacity and the ability to bring glory to God. Is that your motivation? Father, we thank you this morning for your words, and we thank you, Lord, so much for what you do in our hearts. But God, all of us are so easily encumbered by this world. It's difficult. You know it's difficult. That's why you loved us. That's why you brought grace and mercy, because you knew our weaknesses. You knew our inabilities to rise above. But God, when we have your word, and we realize the utter importance of that word, I pray, God, that you would transform lives this morning and place within us a deep desire to walk with you. And you know, while our heads are bowed and we're all praying, I wonder if God is motivating you to take that step of obedience. I just want to take a minute while Christians are praying, praying and every head is bowed. If God is moving in your heart, you'd like to just come down to the front and just pray, maybe a prayer of dedication, or maybe you just need to surrender to God. In the quietness of, of this moment, I invite you to do so. thank you for those who've come. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in the hearts and lives of all of us here. I pray, Lord, that you administer to these who have come to dedicate their lives. I pray that you would work in and through them in a mighty, mighty way. And God, for all of us here, Lord, who are sitting in our pews knowing we need to make that choice, God, I pray your blessing upon every person, that you would be glorified. And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.